A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rule Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. All right, welcome, Ferdinando Buscema. Hello, Rude. How are you? It's great to see you again. It's been a while since we met in person again. This was in uh, Montreux, I think. Uh, was it a yeah. year and a half ago? Or yeah, like yeah, that? yeah. More, just a little bit more than a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, originally we met, we met at a place called the College of Extraordinary Experiences uh, mm -hmm. in Poland, which yep. must have been over seven, eight years ago by now. Uh, I think it was in 2018. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So a little less. Yeah. So it's uh, so two, three, five years ago. Mm -hmm. Today is uh, the 9th of May, 2023, for mm -hmm. posterity's sake, just to, to make the timestamp accurate for today. Yep. And um, Ferdinando, I've... I've I mean, you describe yourself, if people look at you on LinkedIn, and we'll add the link to the comments, as a magic experience designer, mm -hmm. uh, which which almost feels falls short of the scope of things that you're involved in, in your, in your magical life of experiences, right? Um, I see when people scroll down, you know, what, what it is that you do is that you are a magician in residence at the Foresight Training Facilitator for the Institute for the Future. Mm -hmm. You're a guest lecturer at Lehigh University. You're an experienced designer and ambassador at Ferrari. PricewaterhouseCoopers, you've done TEDx events. You are like in a full spectrum of activities that might interest our auditors. Mm -hmm. how, how did that come to be? Mm. So first of all, thank you for having me, uh, for inviting me for this conversation. It's a pleasure to to be here with you, uh, and I've been an, an admirer of your work since we met. So it's great, and when we had our conversation, so this is less for the posterity. So it's great to leave a track of how we're, you know, spinning some ideas back and forth. Um, yeah, well, <clears throat> when you say that my job title falls short of all the things that I do. Um, I take, of course, it is a compliment, but it's already a long enough title that kind of uh, sorts out the people that can that I can work with from the people that I cannot if they're already able to name the job title. So if they're able to name it correctly, it means we are on the good foot in order to start a conversation. So, you know, for me, this title kind of came into being um very organically uh in order to to accommodate the different things that i do and uh, we can kind of break it down like this uh so i am a believer in the notion of experience design uh which since the moment that i discovered the existence of this I very deeply resonated, and as you know, it's a let's say it's a relatively new field. Uh, you know, the literature about this world, this domain. Uh, you know, in my head, I can track track back this domain to a couple of books. 
uh, one of which is uh, Pinel Gilmore's The Experience Economy, and uh, the other one is by Nathan Shedroff, The Experience Design. So I think that the, Shedroff has been the first guy who kind of put the flag on the notion of experience design, implying that any other object or process or uh, things or stuff, also experiences can be designed. Uh, so you can do things in a way that a desired experience emerges, right? And again, this the notion, the, the concept is kind of new, but the idea of experiences is as whole as humans have been existing on the planet. Um, and that's the reason why even Shedroff book is kind of a collection of ideas to give the reader the feeling that you can actually uh, actively do something in order to have a specific experience emerge, right? Yeah. Uh, and so when I discovered this notion, uh, it really clicked in my head. And then given my experience, first of all, as a mechanical engineer, so I had the feeling of what it means to create something, to design for something. And when it's for something means mostly some sort of object or some sort of technology, which again, the notion of designing and doing, you know, mapping out uh, from a theoretical point of view, something that kind of then becomes real and concrete. Again, it's been a notion that it's been part of my studies and professional life for some time. And the last piece that went into this puzzle was the notion of magic, the idea of magic. I've been a performing magician since I was a kid. Um, and then I became, became semi-professional, meaning I started being paid to do shows during the years of my of college. And uh, so I, I somehow I saw this puzzle kind of coming together. So if experiences can be designed as the field of experience design uh, tells us, how about creating experiences that are magical? So that was the kind of uh, uh, input. So, and by magical, I mean thinking like a magician, again, as when I say magician, I mean a conjurer. So as late of end practitioner, uh, an illusionist. So all of these are words that imply a theatrical dimension of someone like me who shows to a group of people, a more intimate or a larger audience, some seemingly impossible feats for entertainment purposes, mm -hmm. clearly implying that you're using tricks. So there is a methodology there without mm -hmm. the need of invoking any supernatural entities. So this is kind of how the, my job title and profession came into being. How can you design experiences that are somehow that we can deem magical? And by magical, I mean surprising, evoking wonder and astonishment uh, and uh, uh, some mystery, some sort of concoction of all these elements. And so what can you do as an experience designer to ensure that these are the elements, there are, this is the flavor of the experience that you want to uh, evoke and create. So, and that's the reason why, you know, all the experiences that I have that you described, uh, I, I kind of, you know, the range of, what, of the things that I do go from uh, a purely entertainment context where I perform as a magician um, with my own style and with my own repertoire, but also creating a, a TEDx event uh, or a, a corporate learning and development experience 
for me, falls under the umbrella of this larger notion of magic experience design, where you, again, intentionally and carefully design an experience with a few goals in mind, and uh, the, the outcome is hopefully something that we can call magical, meaning that it's something which is surprising, that is am am amazing, amusing, but also leaves some sort of mark. Um, you know, I shy away from the word transformation. We can talk about more that later. But again, kind of the goal and the ambition is to make sure that the people that come and attend and partake this experience hmm. uh, will remain with some sort of memory. Uh, and again, hopefully some sort of transformation is going to be engendered. And again, the experience itself is supposed and hoped to become some sort of memory in the future, and it will stick in their mind through the power of magic and through the power of the wow factor being affected by the wonder and surprise and astonishment which is evoked during the experience. So this is a hopefully I kind of hopefully it does, it does make sense to give you an overall idea of where I come from. What people are not seeing, right, that I'm seeing, because you're only getting the audio in your ears, and we have an intimate setting. It's you, Ferdinando. Yeah. You're you're in Milan right now, right? In yeah. Italy, I think. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm in I'm in Switzerland today, but what our audios don't see is that you are gesticulating with your hands, but also in your I what always what always stands out to me is when I speak to you, you always have a card deck on your desk that I you do. are that you are playing around with as a I don't know if it's a practice or a distraction or a uh, a, a way of being uh, that, yes. that I, I always notice that your hands are always practicing, right? Yes. So, yeah, it's part of my own fun. And uh, yeah, I like, you know, I, I have a, uh, a special relationship with my hands, which are somehow my tools of the trade. Although I like to think that, you know, most of what I do happens on an intellectual and cognitive basis. Still, yes. you know, the hands and the word itself, prestidigitation, means yeah. being able uh, to do you know having nimble fingers so yeah. i like to play me with my hands i it gives me some sort of joy besides <laughs> i'm also italian so we know that italian <laughs> we speak with our hands um, and you know fiddling with a pack of cards is a form of meditation for me let's put it yeah. this way clearly yeah. it's also part of my own uh, rehearsal and exercise like a musician playing an instrument yeah. uh, but you know, it's, I would not call it a distraction. It's something that I just do while I'm talking and thinking. But again, if we were in person, for example, I know that I can be off screen while I do my own, you know, hand plays. If we were in person, I would not do that because that would might distract from our conversation. So I'm kind of aware when I can do it and be off screen. But again, we when we are in person, I try to keep my hands uh still <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless i'm performing <laughs> i like that uh it's almost like uh, uh the cards are the old version of of the of the iphone because they can distract from the conversation right yeah uh, yeah 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 so and, that's, yeah and i've also seen that they are your your magical connector right so mm -hmm. uh, i remember in past conversations we spoke about you know the various art forms you know that magical conversations have you know a show for an audience of one and all these concepts that i'm sure we're going to get into before yeah. we do that i want to ask you a very important question and it's a it's kind of a double-edged sword which is on the first page of the design to change book which is uh -huh. a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever yeah would you leave it to chance 
So this is, again, when I opened your wonderful books, uh, which I enjoyed from the first page till the last one, uh, they are so beautifully written, so thoughtful, and you really did a, an amazing job in mapping out and fleshing out the whole notion of what it means to create a whole event. So I'm a big fan of the design canvas, Especially, although I use pieces of it, uh, because as we said, I'm not, although I am in the event space, this book is meant for people who are actually event designers and planners like full on. In my professional experience, in a few occasions, I've been in charge of full blown events, but most of the time I kind of, um, I am a piece of a larger thing. So mm -hmm. this said, the very opening quote uh, of the book actually not only blew my mind, but very deeply resonated with me because I am a big believer in the notion of conversations um, like we are having now, uh, especially conversations one-to-one. -one. Um, you know, if even our listeners think about it, it's very likely that they can track back meaningful moments of their professional and personal careers, turning points, shifting points, you know, memorable moments, very likely they happened through some sort of conversation with someone. So I am a big believer again in the conversation. And now online on Zoom, it's great. I mean, no question the technology brought us big gifts, but conversations for me in, a, in an ideal world are face-to-face, -face, sitting close to one another. And that's one of the most powerful form of magic that you can achieve. Uh, you know, the intimacy of the space, uh, bouncing back and forth ideas, uh, of course, having the full attention of the person that you're talking to, no telephone interruptions, no, you know. Uh, no cardex. No cardex. <laughs> Maybe a waiter can come and bring a drink. That's, that's okay. Uh, but again, for me, conversation means to create a kind of a bubble, uh, a, a cocoon where two people can actually have an intimate relationship um, and that's a very powerful catalyst for new ideas, uh, which potentially can entail deep change. Uh, and it doesn't even need to be long. I mean, once you are, once you hit the right spot and you are on the same page, a power conversation can happen even relatively quickly, uh, and can be one of the most powerful ways to blow someone's mind. So all of this to say that again, like any details of a, a well-curated experience, you would not leave this to chance. Um, and by this, I mean that the first thing that comes to my mind is to be able to design the appropriate space, time and space, when both the person can be, you know, can give their full attention without distractions. Uh, you know, you decided the space and the space could be, again, it could be a bar, uh, maybe not too loud, uh, it could be, you know, the intimacy of, of one's house. Uh, but I mean, even, even having a conversation like walking, like even sitting in a car, but again, like any pieces worth designing for, you should think where is the most appropriate place to have a conversation. Uh, and maybe, for example, if you're talking about death, why not having a conversation in a cemetery, like walking in a beautiful cemetery, which kind of prompts um, and provides visual clues and, you know, the, the atmosphere maybe uh, can, you know, can speed up 
the process of the conversation. So as we know, the location of where, where you do things affects the final outcome. So it's not an ingredient that you leave to chance. Uh, so being aware of this, as you know, um, you don't leave this to chance and conversation, again, it's from my top notch, uh, my favorite way, uh, one of my favorite, let's call it tools or environments in order to engender and to hopefully activate transformation. And again, when we're talking about conversation, it's a simple uh, exchange of words. Still, as one of my favorite quotes said by the English uh, author, uh, Rudyard Kipling, words are still the most powerful drugs used by mankind. And I deeply believe that. And it's one of the, again, again, the concept which I deeply resonated with. You know, exchanging words with one another. Uh, we are language animals. And, uh, you know, a, a mere and simple, which is not easy, exchange of the right words. It's a very powerful thing. It's a timeless thing. Uh, it's a very uh, direct, humane, non-mediated way of communicating. And as we know nowadays, we love these technological filters uh, and uh, gizmos that I believe I, I have an ambivalent relationship towards these, you know, even talking about nowadays the, any form of AI or GPT, seemingly cognizant tools that can have a conversation. Uh, I have my own doubts about that. I mean, can be fun to play. You ask prompt, you get some sort of answer, whatever. That's not a conversation. A conversation is two people, one in front of the other, exchanging words that they are thinking on their feet. Yeah. That's, the, that's the catch. Yeah. There's a reason probably why they call it the art of conversation, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's an unframed thing, although the time and, and, and space that you're talking about. It's interesting. I, I, was, I was speaking to uh, somebody earlier on the podcast um, um, called Ki Kamamura. You might want to look him up. Um, who is a designer of spaces, but actually he prefers the word place, right? Mm -hmm. Because a space indicates almost like a, a um, you know, has very physical attributes, but a sense of place also indicates a sense of belonging or a sense of, uh, it's, it's like a homing device for whatever it is you talk about in that situation. Uh, yeah, yesterday I was watching the last carpool karaoke um, that, um, um you know, you mentioned this conversation in a car or even singing together in a car or, you know, the, the context of it, because you're moving in a thing that you can't get out of mm -hmm. with very good acoustics or, you know, that conversation you were talking about, you know, walking on a cemetery, talking about the concept of death. Or I think the sense of uh, place is a really powerful thing to combine with time, right? Absolutely. And again, the immediate connections that I make you know, we were talking about the, the wonderful college of extraordinary experiences. I mean, a, a bunch of people in a castle for a few days, you know, the place itself, it's part of the magic, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. creating the vessel inside yeah. of which people are going to do their own magic. Yeah. Besides, it's a place that you need to get there. I mean, it's a, it's a journey to only to get there. And once mm -hmm. you're there, you stay there until the end of the uh, of the experience. So inviting a group of people you're kind of charting the boundaries hmm. in terms of time and space so yeah. the place is the castle far away 
it's not a place, you know, you need to actually make an effort to go there. And once you're there, you stay there until the game is over. Um, <laughs> then, then we know that it's not over, but you know, it has a long tail, but still the point is, once you collect a group of people in a place, they're supposed to stay there. You're not come and go. Uh, so you stay there for the duration of the experience and the vessel itself, it's what creates, again, this kind of bubble inside of which everybody is, um, you know, enclosed. And that's when the magic can happen. That's interesting you say that because the concepts that we describe in Design to Change really has to do with how events are markers of change over time. And if I think back of the experience at the College of Extraordinary Experiences, I went, I went to three from the inaugural one to, to, the, to the one that we spend time at. Um, and what happens in between these and what happens beyond them, right? Um, I mean, our connections in our last encounter in Montreux, you know, for, for sites uh, were yeah. because of these uh, timely disconnected experiences that a different group of people had at a similar place at different points in time, yet it also connected the groups that that were there as another set of alumni, right? So Absolutely. I think the cohort experience of what we get in education, what we have at you know conferences that people go to at a regular cadence becomes a very powerful kind of driver of connection Absolutely. because you've lived a similar experience together, right? Totally, yeah, I um, totally agree. And as you know, you know, and we are here together now today also for this reason, besides having met there but you know the overall community of the uh, college of extraordinary experience it's a very lively one very active one besides having met in person that specific year uh you know we created connections and also the, the reunions and uh, uh you know it's a larger you know we created and forged connections there that has been going on since um so again that's another part of the, the side effects yeah. of the magic so at that at that event, you also I also um, um, got a copy of your book, right? Um, the art of creating magical experiences, mm -hmm. a maze, and then you flip the words to kind of confuse the mind to see is it amuse uh, you muse? Uh, there's there's kind of a flip there in the amaze uh, element yeah. of your title, um, and this is a work that you've. Um, written together with one of your colleagues, uh, Maria mm -hmm. Tomatis, yep. yes, um, which is a manifesto. What, what's why? Why a manifesto? So um, came the moment when um, uh, we've been reflecting together. This has been part of me and my friend and pal Mariano Tomatis, uh, who is a writer and a magician himself, um, and. Uh, Basically, it came out from questioning ourselves if the notion that I mentioned earlier of magic experience design was actually uh, a useful one. I mean, it definitely was useful for myself when I thought about it. Uh, it made sense to me. I didn't find it anywhere else. So again, I didn't mean to claim the originality of it. But again, I didn't find that tag so framed before. Uh, and uh, as we kept on thinking about it, we both, and Mariano clearly served not only as a you know, thinking partner on this uh, uh, venture, uh, we kind of thought that you know, we were um, highlighting a new concept, or put, to put it better, 
we didn't invent the concept in itself because again many people were already doing that kind of stuff in different mm -hmm. ways mm -hmm. but giving this name giving the tag it was a way of making the concept more explicit more uh, clear hopefully and possibly for other people to relate to it and uh, especially when we reach out to uh, Nathan Shedroff and uh, uh, Joe Pine, both of us have been very kind to, to me during the years and, uh, you know, we became friends. Uh, given their work, uh, they confirmed that the intuition of, you know, bridging together, of connecting these three words, magic, experience and design, made sense to them, clearly from the perspective of a magician. And, uh, and so the rest of the job became, hey, uh, let's find a way to describe and flesh out what this notion of magic experience design can entail and what kind of different directions it can go. So it's a very loose end, it's a very open-ended um, idea that again, for me, it became my job title, which again, serves my own purposes. But at the same time, uh, having a book that described the nuances of, and the possibilities of this uh, this idea, hmm. again, it became natural for us to uh, put our hands and uh, uh, try to, again, describe and flesh out uh, and give people the perception of what, what it actually means to create magical experiences and the different flavors that can come with it. Uh, and we decided just for the lack, just for, you know, both uh, an element of, grandiose notion of uh, writing a manifesto about something just because there was there was not one and uh, again not out of wanting to claim and to put our flag on this notion but again in a very playful way the goal was hey from our perspective let's collect and uh, all the the pieces that we believe they fit in yeah. this overarching concept and uh, let's take the conversation from there. So all the people that we've been very lucky um, to receive endorsements um, from uh, people from the business world, academia, um, people from the creative domains, and all of them, all the people that read the book somehow found you know, the value that, of what we did. So it's a project that I'm still proud of uh and uh it's been you know read in a few college courses in experience design and uh again it's still it's there uh now and then when i page through it it's one of the few things that i i'm kind of proud of i think we did a good job and mariano has been uh crucial in in, in pulling this off in the form that you it, it eventually took so yeah, yeah. It's almost, um, I will make sure to add the link to the bottom of the page if people want to take a look at that mm -hmm. more closely. Um, also, like you, you, you have ways of doing business that are a little contrarian or different, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. when I look at the way you do things, one of the things that I always like and puts a smile on my mind when I look at your website is it says all wrongs reserved instead of, you know, a copyright <laughs> sign, right? Where you <laughs> all rights yeah. reserved. Um, <clears throat> knowing that, um, and I'm sure that you've come across this, but uh, this whole concept of language and beliefs, right? So having a common language between a group of people is important, but also challenging their assumptions is very important. Um, you play endlessly with this idea that 
in the spectrum of our reality, as we look at things, we have a very limited bandwidth of things that we see, right? Mm-hmm. And people want to see more about that. I'll add a link as well to the talk that you did um, uh, uh, for Stanford some time back. And I was watching that. And I, you know, as a mechanical engineer, you know, your engineering brain and your designer brain must be in perpetual conflict uh, or do they celebrate each other? I mean, how, how, how does that work in your brain? Mm. Uh, well, I don't think they are in conflict. I would say they are in tension. Uh, so there is a, a creative tension uh, between, um, let's put it this way. Um, as you said, so we perceive the world through our limited, len- the limited lenses of our senses and cognition and uh, maps or filters you know we can choose different metaphors and a bunch of wording to to describe but at the end of the day each one of us we have a limited perception of what reality is which is reality is much bigger than our own limited uh, mapping of it as the famous line goes the map is not the territory so the territory is a very wide hugely big thing and uh, the only thing that we can do is to map it in our own head and it's going to be necessarily a limited version uh, a limited impoverished version of what's out there but it's the only thing that we can rely upon so each one of us we have our own limited vision of reality and uh, I am endlessly fascinated uh, by the fact that we can stretch and refine our model of reality. It's never going to be perfect, of course, but you know, as time goes by, as we move and navigate reality, if we pay attention, we can create better maps. We can create an expanded understanding of what reality is. And this is an ongoing uh, endless process until we are alive or better until we keep learning. And uh, if we keep on being curious about the world. Um, so, and I believe that magic as, a, as an art form, um, if we want to call it that, but you know, the overall activity of a, of a performing magician is to show people very directly that reality is bigger than what you think it is. And with this, I mean that Witnessing a magic performance, again, can be an, a clo- an intimate close-up moment or a, a larger David Copperfield Las Vegas show. If the show is well-designed, you're going to see things which you do not understand, which are clearly meant for entertainment. And, you know, that's part of the game. But what, an interesting element of all of this is that you're going to be confronted with things that you don't know how they work, which is what we call the trick. So if the magician does his job properly, he's he's going to do something which is somehow happening uh, below the threshold of your consciousness and understanding. So for me, this is really the quintessential way to invite people to play with their perception, of course, not to understand the trick, that would be very lame, uh, but you are you have a direct confrontation on the fact 
that reality is larger than what you assume. And there are things that even your eyes cannot see. And when I say your eyes, even I, I, I would better say your you know, cognition, your cognitive system. So in other words, if the trick works well, you're going to see something which is hopefully fun and amusing, but the underlying message, you're going to see something that you don't know how it works, which again means there are things that even under your nose, you don't perceive which is a beautiful reminder that, again, there is more than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, where, that's why I think that magic as an art form, as a theatrical art form, um, it's a great, uh, you know, besides its aesthetic value, um, it's, a, it's a great way to remind ourselves on a daily basis that there is more out there, the world is more complex, more nuanced, than any of our representations. Um, yeah, this, that, in this I believe it's one of the values of thinking like a magician to invite people again to expand their notion of what's possible and to question the very notion of what you believe can be done or what cannot be done. So it's a good reminder uh, of the, I would say endless possibilities or um, I, I, again, I don't know if call them infinite or endless, but hey, uh, there is more out there than our little minds, uh, although the smart minds can conceive and can see and can uh, conceptualize. So if wonder fuels ambiguity and ambiguity is a rocket fuel for design, right? Because you, mm -hmm. you, you bring people into a state of wonder. Mm -hmm. And that Neri Oxman you know, said this, and it made, made me think a lot about, you know, the state of wonder, right? If a group is in a state of wonder or you're able to, through a methodology that you master, because it's a one-sided methodology, right? There's mm -hmm. that, if, if you reveal your tricks, you betray your trade almost, right? Or if yeah. you, I don't know if it's worked like that, but it's almost, um, so, it's a, so it's a methodology that you've practiced and you've perfected. And I, I noticed that in how you do things, you always string the whole thing together from beginning to end, right? It's mm -hmm. not a, it's not just, you know, bringing people below the threshold of consciousness, as you called it, you know, it's not just tricking people, no. but it's tricking for a purpose or it's evoking yeah. the state of wonder for a purpose to then resolve it into whatever the behavior changes the event owner mm -hmm. is looking to instill on the group of people. Right. And yes. I think this is where it's a very powerful tool, but also sometimes a little bit dangerous, you mm -hmm. know, to if if left as an as an isolated little thing and not comprehensively used in the bigger scheme of things, leaving people in a state of wonder can also create confusion, right? Mm -hmm. Or create yeah. uh, insecurity or whatever it might be, which sometimes has a purpose and function. Mm -hmm. But it's also a it's a powerful tool that you have to put into a, into a context of time and place yes. over the stretch of an event or over the stretch of the journey people go through during an event. Yeah. How, yes, I think, yeah. Can you give some examples of how that's done well mm -hmm. to turn entertainment into a vehicle of behavior change mm -hmm. with a sense of purpose over time? Yeah. Yeah. This is really a, a crucial uh, uh, topic that you're bringing. Uh, into the conversation here. So um, first of all, you use the word ambiguity, uh, and uh, which is again, it's part and parcel with, uh, even with the notion of magic. 
so which also let me add people who are you know part of the game is to invite people to even to enjoy a moment of ambiguity by which by its very nature is not something comfortable so as human beings we we are not wired to bask into the state of ambiguity so as soon as as soon as we face an ambiguous event or a context kind of stand back right? it's like, huh? either, yeah. either you back off or you find or your mind tries to find the way out as soon as possible because again by its very nature the state of ambiguity is not comfortable um you know there or you a, lean into it if you're in a safe space where everybody's doing it together maybe yes right? uh you know there, there is this notion but um, invent you know uh, named by the English poet John Keats. Uh, he spoke of something called negative capability, uh, which according to Keats' definition, it's, uh, it's the ability to stay in a state of uh, uh, ambiguity, of paradox, of mystery, of not knowing, and at the same time, to some extent, being comfortable with it. So, although the word the negative capability sounds like negative, it's a very positive trait to have. Uh, and this is one of the topics that I also deal with in my uh, leadership uh, seminars and sessions. So somehow this is an invitation for people in, in leadership positions to be able to stay in a state of ambiguity, of not knowing, because, you know, especially people dealing in very complex environments, very dynamic and fast-paced and complex environments, not everybody has the answers all the time, uh, you know, very far from it. At the same time, being able to stay in that space, in that uh, space, and still be able to function, and to function, I mean, not try to go for an easy answer or a, for a quick answer, that will lead you out of that unpleasant state. So this is really a, one of the key crucial skills that people, uh, again, in managerial leadership skills uh, positions are supposed to learn because it's a valuable one. So again, it's an invitation to be able to stay in a state of ambiguity without breaking up and still figuring things out, maybe as they go, right? So this is one aspect. So the state of ambiguity by default, it's not necessarily pleasant. So when you create a magic, a moment of mag a magical experience, again, be this a short one or a longer one, you are kind of inviting the element of ambiguity, which in my one way of seeing it, uh, the ambiguity is it's kind of a catalyst to soften your even your beliefs so to speak so whatever you believe solidly uh you were sure of if you add the element the ingredient of ambiguity to the mix again it's an invitation to be for people to soften up what they believed was true was real to some extent of course and i mean i'm trying to generalize the, this this piece of the conversation because it can be very abstract and complex but again for the sake of our conversation now adding ambiguity it's a powerful catalyst uh even this the, the spirit of wonder which again you can it, this is not an exact science you can you know it's an in between science and art so there is an, an element of artistry here. So even evoking wonder, 
you cannot make sure 100% that it's going to happen. You can do your job at the best of your skills, but then it kind of is left on its own, right? You kind of set in motion a process that you will hopefully, we, you hope it's going in some direction, but again, you, you cannot have a 100% guarantee. So this said, um, as you rightfully say, you bring people in a state of wonder, you invite them into this space, which is also supposed to be pleasant and fun and amusing, but it's an ambiguous space. Mm -hmm. And then when you close the experience, you need to drive them somewhere. Otherwise you left them in the middle of nowhere, uh, right? And uh, so a quick example could be, you know, just to, to how, how do you close this magical circle, so to speak? So you invite people in a magical circle, which is your own event or magical experience, but then you need some sort of clear cut closing moment where somehow you bring people back in the more, in the more mundane day-to-day -day space. And then what to do with this energy, which is the energy of wonder or ambiguity that you unleashed? Well, a way to close the circle properly is to try to channel is to try to uh, focus and to use the energy, to direct this energy towards some sort of suggestion. So that's kind of, I would say, it's uh, kind of the closing moment of when even closing a show. So once you unleashed this, you, okay, let's think about this. If, you if you're able to evoke wonder, it's like opening a little bit of a portal in people's mind that will make them more receptive and uh, open to suggestions, to new ideas, to new perspectives. And that's where the, the final moment comes. Again, generally speaking, the final moment. So it's like opening this portal, you have an opportunity now to offer them a new perspective, a new point of view, and hopefully they will be more open to accept and process and uh, consider this new point of view, which hopefully is going to be new for them through the medium of wonder that can, can ease, can be like a lubricant to allow this message to be passed. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a big responsibility there for opening up the vessel, right? Like you say, it's like yeah. opening up that state of wonder, which you know, the event owners, the curator, because they bring together this group of people, mm -hmm. they design some kind of a program or yeah. the time and a place in which they go through that experience. Uh, you can soften up that territory, like you say, where, you know, certain beliefs that might be very fixed in their heads can now be, you know, more malleable or, mm -hmm. or you know, where you can start to toy and challenge those beliefs. But then you have a very direct responsibility to channel those <clears throat> the ambiguity into the desired direction of change for each individual that then is part of that experience. And almost, you know, even before the offboarding of an event begins, the intention of it and how you then flip it is almost like it would seem, I mean, I, I see so many events and I'm just realizing that as I'm talking about it is that maybe are succeeding at softening up the beliefs and getting a group of people to gel together, mm -hmm. but then leave it, leave it and then it ends right With, without they don't land it 
No, they don't land or, as you call it, close the experience or close mm -hmm. the loop or, you know, close the hero's or heroine's journey, depending mm -hmm. on, you know, because it's multiple changes that can happen over time, yeah. as we've experienced with things like the College of Extraordinary Experience. And it's then building the, the dexterity of practicing that for yourself over mm -hmm. and over again. Yeah. Right? So that, like, I, I, I like what you said, this idea of, you know, negative capability to allow the uncomfortable negative capability to to be there when it's needed mm -hmm. and then using it not as a stressor but using it as a as a catalyst yeah as a catalyst to then identify options which is really what the whole process of event design i think you know now now, now that i think of it and you describe it like this is, is that right it's it's allowing you to not know the problem mm -hmm. to fall in love not with the possible solution but with you know, the whole principle of design thinking being role in the problem and the ambiguity as long as you possibly can, looking at it from various perspectives and mm -hmm. angles and questioning the problem over and over again, knowing that if you do that long enough, the potential of a group of people to come up with prototypes or options as to how you could then resolve it or close it or use that ambiguity mm -hmm. to create multiple prototypes and say, you could do this, 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 or that, or not do the event or whatever, you then create channels that people can choose from you can do yeah. a b c or d right mm -hmm. which direction will be most effective in enabling the behavior change you're designing for mm -hmm. yeah. And, so, and, yeah and 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 resolving it to come to that closing point or not even closing but it's more like the start of the action is beyond not knowing what to do right yeah so from what you're describing the thing that comes to my mind is that you know having in mind as clear as possible and again you can you you come to this you can approximate this clarity it doesn't always fall from the sky completely baked but you can discover things along the way yeah. but the end point of an event or a magical experience it's one of the things that should be again at least decently clear in the mind of people organizing the event so to some extent you should know where the the, the journey is leading so yeah. for me as a as a practicing magician um you know let me throw a couple of words that might be useful for uh, for our conversation you know when you as a magician when you perform one of your pieces that people call tricks you know to refine the language we like to call them effects so for a magician the effect it's what the people perceive so I want to make an elephant appear, I snap my fingers and the elephant appears. So that's the effect, mm -hmm. the product, the final outcome of what you're trying to achieve magically. Okay, that's the effect. And then there is the method or the trick or the modus operandi. So it's basically how you get there, right? It's the, the process in order to make the effect uh, visible. So these are these, these two different planes. Mm -hmm. The part of the method or the trick or the how it's done, it's the thing that is supposed to remain hidden uh, to the eyes of the spectator, right? Mm -hmm. While the effect, it's actually the theatrical outcome of what you want them to perceive. So as a magician, you, sh you should start with the effect in mind. So the yeah. question that you, you should ask yourself is what I want to achieve doing my magic. So what is that I want people to perceive? That in some sense, 
you, we can translate the word effect to message. What kind of message, what kind of idea are you trying to get across? Mm. So that's kind of the end point. And then reverse engineer how you're going to get there. Yeah. So all of this to say, which for me, I, you know, mapping this in different language, the end goal of any event to some extent should be clear. So where are we going with this? Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the job is to backtrack and backcast and reverse how engineer to get how to yeah. get there. Yeah. So yeah. I believe it's a crucial piece. So yeah. even myself attending multiple events during the years, I've been amazed, and, but in a negative way, by the fact that people didn't know where they were going. So an event ended without landing. So they were not <laughs> sure where this was going. Yeah. And for me, it was like, a, you know, like hearing a joke without the punchline. You have all the setup <laughs> and then there is no punchline. So w what is this? Yeah. Um, which, again, it's so odd for me because, again, for my mindset and my way of thinking, the effect, so the end point, it's the thing. Everything else should be in service of what of the direction that you're trying to pursue. Yeah. And I think this is where... In event design, we're so adamant about that delta, right? It's like, okay, you have three stakeholders, name three entry behaviors and three exit behaviors for each of the stakeholders mm -hmm. and describe the delta in between. Yeah. If, if you would get handed that for every event that you're asked to perform at, how handy would that be for you? So you have this matrix where you see, oh, stakeholder one, entry, exit, what needs to happen in the middle? Stake, behavior two, behavior three. For each of the stakeholders, for maybe two or three, you would get that on a silver platter. Mm -hmm. Would that be helpful for your design of uh, what you do? Maybe yes and no. Uh, you know, I'm comfortable with models and structures and uh, processes. Again, part of my, uh, again, upbringing as a mechanical engineer kind of programmed me uh, at least to be able to speak that language. At the same time, according to, you know, a model is supposed to serve your purpose. Yeah. If it's too complex if you spend again to, uh, me speaking about myself if i spend too much time um trying to fill in the boxes of a mo of a model that at that point draw drains too much brain power and creative energy from my mind it it becomes cumbersome so it doesn't become useful anymore so mm -hmm. i think there is a limit where the model can be useful as a useful tool to chart your route to have to have a map but at the same time the need to address you know 15 boxes and check a, a, a checklist which is too long then becomes again doesn't become a useful tool but becomes a, a chore yeah so again it's a fine line where uh, um in my in the way that i think uh and design an event according to how many variables you need to keep in mind and again also boils down to the length of the event is are we talking about the one year one hour performance or lecture show or a multi-days event with multiple touch points so again according to the complexity of and the scope and the scale of the event uh i think that any sort of model or map should be coherent with the complexity of the event yeah. and not more and not become only an exercise in filling and ticking the boxes yeah. so again i have a it depends could yeah. be useful but mm, with in the right amount yeah yeah i fully get that and i think 
the the um uh, the whole idea that and i think this is where i see a big difference between magic where it's it's, it's very often one to many right or there's mm -hmm. there's one or a few people collaborating to create what you call the effect right yeah who need to master the trick or the methodology of how mm -hmm. to get to the effect yes um and this is where let's say if an event was to have a specific effect of behavior change it's by having a small group of people think about the trick or the methodology of how to get to the effect collaboratively because their brain power cracks the problem more easily than if a single person has to crack it yeah must be i mean i just imagine how difficult it must be to and this is what distinguishes you know really good magician, magicians like yourself from the mediocre or the poor ones it's it's, mm -hmm. it's some sort of bit like a pyramid like the events industry right where yeah. only a few events really master that really well yeah. right um and there's a whole series of mediocre and you know poor at best events that mm -hmm. don't even put in the effort of practicing or 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 considering the effect and and then coming up with the right trick and then having the language to involve all of those involved in the delivery of that for a larger yeah. group of people, you know, um, um, which which I always find fascinating because it does require a lot of time from a lot of people, mm -hmm. and a lot of resources to bring them together, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're totally spot on here. Um, you know, according to the length and the, sc the scope and the size of the event, it, this is a multiplayer game. Uh, although sometimes I am the only person on, on stage, so to speak, I work with my own partners and colleagues. Uh, but as you know, any event worth of this name, it's a, clearly it's a multi game, multi people, multiplayer game. Yeah. And as a, you know, as a soccer game, to use a very easy and cheap metaphor, you know, they play together well because they've been playing together for a long time. So they need to align themselves their intentions, their styles, and blend uh, and uh, do the thing multiple times. Otherwise, it's a one-off thing that can be lucky, can work, but you know, good teams, when they work well together, that's part of the magic, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I like the notion of collective intelligence that even not only in the, in the phase of the ideation, so not only during the creative phase, but also during the delivery of it, when you work with a group of people who is working and playing well together, you can witness this very subtle, subtle but real quality of the collective intelligence emerging that can do and create much larger and more and smarter and more beautiful things than what the individual can do. This is this is you know we agree on that. Which I there is another parallel here. Uh, you know, the, a more esoteric one, if you wish, a more occult one, mm -hmm. which is the notion of an egregore. Uh, you know, the egregore is the name of, again, coming from the, the domain of the uh, occult sciences and arts. Mm -hmm. uh, the egregore is a kind of a thought form. Um, again, it's, a, it's an emergence of an idea, of, a, of an energy. Again, I don't want to sound new agey, too <laughs> new agey talking about this, but it's a very tangible thing. When a group of people come together, they blend and join and uh, integrate their uh, skills, their abilities. There is this kind of very subtle energy that emerges, kind of a spirit, a thought form, uh, mm -hmm. an energy 
which kind of supersedes what all the individuals can do. But this only happens when, again, you have this kind of alignment, this very deep alignment of intentions, of energies, of forces, of work. I mean, this doesn't happen by magic, like, like snapping your finger. This you is called to do the work. Yeah. This is, you have to do the work. Like, you know, yeah. this is, you have to work your ass off. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't work. Um, so, but when you do it properly, this, again, this thought form happens or emerges or is created. We don't know exactly how it works, but it works that then achieves concrete effects. And that's what make, makes the magic happen. So I really believe that having a group of people who have enough clarity about what they are doing, they know how to do it, they are willing to invest the work and time and energy. And that's when how the magic is done. So magic is not for free. Like, you know, the, the shallow cliche version of magic is like you snap your fingers, you have a magic one and things happen. Uh, doesn't work that way. So magic is, a, is a, an ambiguous term that underlying it, it's just work. So, and most of the people, most of the time people do not see the underlying work. So if you see only the end result, if you only see the effect, the effect can look like magical because you do not know the amount of work and thought and energy that went be beneath it yeah. to make the effect happen. So these are the two planes which are worth considering. I love that a lot. And I think, um, you know, when you talk about magical experiences, that's exactly what people feel, that collective effervescence of a group of people that when events are done right, people will call them magical. Mm -hmm. right? And decoding how that came to be is complex because like you said, it's a multiplayer game. Um, yeah. And this is why our endless fascination with events and you know, seeing what you do at them and meeting over and over again, whether it's in a podcast like this um, uh, or in a larger group of people where it's not a one-on-one -on -one conversation, mm -hmm. right? which is always a little bit more tricky because you have multiple brains to satisfy, right? Yeah, yeah. And different perspectives to consider and to soften up. Yeah. Um, this is a perpetual thing people do. Um, I think the, you know, the Design to Change book is meant to soften up people, to have the conversation between the event owner and the event designer. And I like mm -hmm. the terminology that you use of, um, you know, where everyone deserves to experience wonder. Mm -hmm. Like when creating an event, you should allow yourself and your team to get into a state of wonder, to be a little bit ambiguous, to then mm -hmm. resolve it and land it into multiple prototypes that you could bring back to your event owner. Mm -hmm. And the effect should be that your event owner um, will be amazed, more or less, or will will, will have a form of um, excitement mm -hmm. about trying what it is that this group came up with, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not an occult practice that we have, or you know, if occult would be considered a negative thing, I, I don't think it is. But it's uh, well, it's, you know, the, the word occult. Uh, you know, my I, I like to frame it. You know, if you go to the Latin root of the word or to the etymology of the word occult. Occult yeah. means something which is not seen, something which is hidden. So yeah. the word occult in our normal language kind of implies some sort of dark magic or uh, again, occult practice and you know, in the most popular TV shallow interpretation. Yeah. But for occult, we mean 
the, the occult arts or the occult sciences, it's a body of knowledge which is not known to the most of the people. So the notion of knowledge is back into the conversation. And it's a kind of knowledge which is not very well known because it's beneath your understanding. So occult is not a negative word yeah. in, its ori it's in, uh, in its original meaning. It only means hidden. Yeah. So uh, in this sense, I like you know the word occult is uh, deserves its own <laughs> has its own merit. Uh, Thanks. But, you know, you, you said something that um, reminded me of this. Um, you know, as event designers or uh, event planners. I think that you should also be excited and you, you should be in touch with this, let's call it source of wonder or excitement or astonishment. Uh, because as one of my dear teachers and mentors and friends, he's a, a very well-known magician in the field called Jeff McBride. Um, he says that you cannot give a gift that you do not possess. And with this, he implies that in order for you to create this spirit and evoke the spirit of wonder and surprise to people, you should be the first one who should who is supposed to be connected with this, let's call it source. So, and I deeply believe, and again, there is even evidence for this fact, scientific evidence that even feelings and emotions can be transmitted almost by osmosis, by proximity. So if you are excited, if you are happy about something, people close to you will kind of resonate with that. So you, you somehow you, you broadcast what you feel for the good and for the bad. Yeah. Uh, so even negative emotions can be broadcasted. But the it's point almost is, in a hidden bandwidth. We can't see absolutely. them necessarily, but it's... Yeah. You just don't know why, but you, but, but you feel it. Yeah. Uh, and again, most, much of what we are discussing here happens on the level of feelings. It's not it's not only a rational aspect, the rational plane. So being in touch with the spirit of wonder, it's another thing that as event designers or organizers, uh, you're supposed to be uh, doing. I mean, like organizing a party for someone, you cannot be sad while you're, you you throw a party to someone. I mean, you should be part of that kind of um, excitement, yeah. excitement and mental yeah. landscape. Yeah. So otherwise, you cannot pass on the you cannot catalyze that kind of specific conversation which entails this kind of feelings which are ex exciting ones which are fun ones yeah. i love that and I, I, I mean this is a topic that we could talk about for hours and hours and mm -hmm. and, 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 and we, we will uh, we'll keep our conversation going <laughs> and the conversation will carry on i have one question and one request yes uh, the question is uh, and reveal as much as you want or leave it as occult as you'd like right but what is you currently on your horizon of change, right? Um, and with that question, I will ask my request, which is, uh, would you mind sharing, um, even if it's a little cryptic, and then I'd like to reach out a year from today to you to speak about that more. Would you accept that invitation? Of course, that is going to be my pleasure. And uh, it's I find it interesting to see from you know a, a touch base a year one year from now, uh, hopefully if I'm still alive, uh, <laughs> which is something never to be taking for granted. Never take it for granted. Again, not a, not not meant to be a dark joke. It's just no. meant to be a, a, a reminder 
yeah. of the transience of life, which yeah. is something yeah. that I try on a daily basis to remind myself. So and enjoy yeah. and rejoice and be grateful for that. So, yeah. if so, I'm still so on what's, the planet, what's on your yeah. horizon of change? Let's say if you're so, looking at, you know, maybe the next year, what's on yeah. your horizon of change? So um, I have a project which kind of started during the pandemic as a as, a, as an idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, now the pandemic, we can say it's kind of over. Uh, but this project is still, uh, it didn't still come to fru full fruition. Uh, and, I, uh, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I like to set deadlines for me. But at the same time, I allow the space uh, for creativity to emerge and to uh, organically take shape. So I would say it's a project which has been more than a couple of years in the making. It's taking shape. And from one year from now, at this point, I must be ready. Otherwise, I'm just lazy. So I'm setting at this point, not only for, you know, for maybe earlier than a year from now. Um, what I can say is, uh, you know, going back to the very opening quote uh, that we started the podcast with, and then you open your book with, a good conversation can shift direction of change forever. So I would say it kind of boils down what I'm working on. And I can, I'm happily, happy to share that, uh, let's call it a format for a lack, I mean, I'm not specifically keen about the word format, but you know, the kind of structure, it's going to be a magical experience for an audience of one, which is basically a conversation. And as any conversation, while you're having the conversation is going to go, you know, in yeah, you can kind of chart where the conversation is going, but if the conversation is uh, worth of this name, is going in a direction which is going to be surprising and new for both parties, right? So what I'm working on is this format of a magical conversation, which I've been experiencing, I've been, I've been prototyping it, so it's not completely new, but it mm -hmm. has a larger scope uh, in my head, in my vision, so it's going to be a conversation. It's a one-to-one -one conversation. Uh, it's a back and forth conversation. So the feeling is that it's not to be, supposed to be a monologue from my side, but as mm. a conversation, I invite the other person input with magical moments woven throughout the conversation itself in a very organic fashion. So the feeling that I'm trying to achieve is that while we are talking, as we are doing now, mm -hmm. now and then, at the appropriate moment, something we are going to do something magical. So a magical piece of magic, a magical performance, an effect. But that's the creative challenge and that's the catch. The magic that I'm working on will be hopefully uh, specifically targeted for you in that specific moment for the topic that we are dealing with. So it's like not a canned magic effect and the, hey, now look at this. No, the feeling and the flavor is supposed to be, we are having a conversation and now and then we are going to sparkle the conversation and spice it up with moments of magic. So magic performances, which are woven organically and seamlessly in the flow of the conversation. So this is the format that I'm working on. Very Does exciting. it make sense? 
Um, it it does. I have no idea what it's going to do, but I'm sure it's going to be an experience worth experiencing. Um, maybe so. if it's ready next year, or if you want to have an additional prototype, that could be a way in which we have that podcast where people only hear but do not see, right? Which might make I, them even I'm more curious to, as to what yeah, the outcome yeah. might be. Yeah, I'm open to to carve that. Even you know, adding the, you know the, the restraint of not being able to see it. Uh, I mean, it's a if the idea unfolds properly, as I hope, uh, you don't necessarily need to see things because, like now we are talking, there could be a moment where even describing what we are doing should be good enough. Besides, you know, the visual aspect, you know, sometimes visual magic is like candy for the eyes, right? You know, seeing something vanish or appear, you know, such a basic things to do. Uh, it's again, candy for the eyes. But what I'm more interested in is kind of candy for the mind. So even describing what we are doing, even taking the visual aspect away from the, the you know, from the conversation should still hold. And it's a good design restriction to design for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 it's a great design restriction. Yeah. It really makes it even, well, it look, it, the outcome might seem simpler to consume, but it's more difficult to create. Mm -hmm. to, so to, this uh, is a creative challenge, effect. which I'm happy to accept. And I already uh, jotted down our appointment in one year from now. And uh, yeah, it's going to be great. Excellent. Well, Ferdinando, thank you so much for spending this amount of time with us. Your Rude. projects will it's start right pleasure. now, right? So you have some yep. time and the hourglass is running in the screen Wonderful. if you can hear it. Um, we'll see you backstage in just a moment. Yes. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.